Now, I want to invite you, if you would, to take your copy of God's Word, turn to the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. So I'll give you a few extra moments. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. They're not called that because they are any less important. It really just comes down to the size of the book. Zephaniah is three chapters, uh, so he is known as a minor prophet. But we'll be in Zephaniah 3. Now, for the next three Sundays, we're going to be in different texts because we're preparing for Thanksgiving. So this is a little mini-series entitled Thankful For. And each Sunday, we're going to be looking at an aspect of who God is for which we need to be thankful. And so today, we're going to look at Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20, to be thankful for the presence of God. So that's where we'll be going. Now, as you're turning there, I wanted to give you an update on Emma. The last two Sundays, I haven't done that. But today, I've been very excited to share with you because... The last two nights, Emma has done something that she had not done before. Um, our routine is usually around 10 o'clock. We transition from her where she's been in her wheelchair, getting her back in her bed. And when she was back in bed, Jody took Emma's right arm and placed it upon Emma's shoulder, just like this, literally just like this. And she said, now, Emma, you've got your arm there. If you want it down at your side, you will need to move it. Slowly, Emma started doing this and brought it all the way down and did it three times. She did it Friday night and then Saturday last night too. And uh, that's brand new. She had not done that. So we have been very, very thankful. So continue praying. As I said, she did it on command. Did it very controlled. It was not a flop. It was a very intentional, uh, I'm bringing this down to my side. So good things are happening. The Lord is definitely at work. Now, Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20. Now, I want to tell you up front, even though I read all these verses, I'm really going to focus on verses 14 through 17. But I want us to get, get the whole weight of this section of Zephaniah. So follow with me as I read this passage. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of your presence. Lord, we know you're here. We know you're here, Lord, because you fill every believer with your Holy Spirit. 
We know that you are here because you promised that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you would be in their midst. So, Father, make us aware of your presence this morning. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be honored. So this morning it is with thankfulness that we gather knowing that you are in our midst. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Anytime you read about the history of our nation, specifically the birth of this country, there is one man that will loom very large in the story. And that, of course, is George Washington. Certainly as President of the United States, he set a tone and direction for this nation. But even prior to that, his service in our military was exemplary. It began in the French and Indian War, 1754 to 1763, where he served as Colonel Washington among the colonists fighting with the British against the French. The thing about Colonel Washington was this. While other colonels would send their men into battle, Colonel Washington led his men into battle. He was always at the forefront. And often in the very heat of the furnace of the fight. In fact, in one battle, it's recorded that not one, but two horses were shot out from underneath him. And after the battle was over, he examined his coat and found four bullet holes that had passed through his clothing even though he was unarmed. His practice of leading his men continued when the colonists went into revolution against the British. He was General George Washington at this point, the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. And when the winter came of 1777 to 1778, his mind drifted to Mount Vernon because that's where he wanted to be, but he was, he was far from there. And that winter, he was actually 20 miles north of Philadelphia in a place called Valley Forge where his troops were huddled in a very harsh winter training. And he was there in the middle of them. In fact, it's recorded that he told his troops that he promised to share in every hardship and inconvenience. It's an amazing example. He wasn't leading them from afar. He was leading them in the middle. What a picture of our Lord. That's the key in, in this passage. Notice two times that phrase, in your midst. God is not distant. He's not just watching this from a distance. He is here with us, among us. Notice in verse 15, the king of Israel, the Lord, is where? In your midst. He's in the middle of us. Verse 17 repeats this idea. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is not distant. He is not at some faraway temple. He is here dwelling among us. Now, at the beginning of this prophetic message from Zephaniah, that didn't seem to be the case. Now, Zephaniah preached at a time where there was revival taking place among the people of Judah. There was a young king by the name of Josiah. And even though he was a young man, barely out of his teenage years, he had begun refurbishing the temple. And as they were remodeling the temple, they found tucked away in some nook and cranny a copy of the Torah. And the king read it. He said, we're in serious trouble. 
So he called the people to repentance. And during this period, Zephaniah begins preaching, reminding them that even though they were in a time of renewal, they were not to sit back on their laurels, to sit back in comfort, but to remember that God was the judge of all the earth. In fact, look back to Zephaniah chapter 1, just to share really two and a half verses. Zephaniah 1, look at how his message began. Verse 2. God says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. God says, I will come in judgment. And everything will be swept away. Peter emphasizes this also in the book of 2 Peter when he says, On the day of the Lord, the earth and the heavens will melt away before the judgment fire of God. That's what Zephaniah is preaching. Verse 3, I will sweep away Man and beast, I will sweep away the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. At that point, it doesn't sound like it's a good thing for God to be in their midst. It's discipline. It's judgment. But we need to remember, that's the beginning of this book. That's not the conclusion. That word of judgment is not the final word. It's not the final chapter. In fact, in many ways, the book of Zephaniah mirrors Psalm 30. Psalm 30 says this, that God's anger, his anger is just for a moment. But his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You see, that's the message of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1 begins with discipline. Chapter 3 concludes with restoration. Chapter 1 begins with the word of judgment. Chapter 3 ends with the word of reconciliation. Chapter 1 begins with the wrath of God. Chapter 3 ends with the grace of God. Zephaniah 1 is meant to bring us to the point of calling out, God, save us. Back when I was a young boy, I can remember, it's funny how the commercials from that time period stay with you. You know, to many people, they're nostalgia. To me, they're childhood. For those of you my age, do you remember the advertisement for the bath soap Calgon? This, this woman working the home, and she is hurried and busy. And kids are all around. And it's like one of those days. You ever had those days? And she cries out, Calgon, take me away. And then in her mind, she's in this bathtub, and it's peaceful. Come on now. You see, the point of this is for us to say, Lord, take us away. Save us from this. And God says, one day I will. But until then, I'm going to give you something almost as good. I'm going to be with you. In the midst of the fire, I'm going to be with you. In the midst of the celebration, I am going to be with you. In fact, chapter 3, verse 14 begins with a call for us to celebrate God's presence. Verse 14 of chapter 3 has four verbs, two, two sets of verbs. And they mirror one another. Sing and rejoice. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice with all your heart. Those are words encouraging us to sing God's praise. They were words that would accompany temple worship. It was the idea of coming into the presence of God and singing something like we sang earlier based on Psalm 150, a cry of celebration. Cry is the right way to describe shout and exult. In fact, those words in verse 14, shout and exult, 
are words that are used earlier in the Old Testament for when Israel was about to go into battle and God told them as you go into battle lift up a shout now this was not a battlefield cry of defeat it was a shout of victory a shout of of overcoming now I had a flashback when I was thinking about this shout of victory to those glory days when I played basketball for hallowed McMinn County High School member of the, the Cherokees. Now, we, we were a large school. We had a gymnasium that could seat about 5,000 people. It was huge. Now, we never filled it up completely, but when we were playing a rival, we'd have two, 3,000 people there to watch. And when it was a heated rivalry, oh, the student section was great. Oh, my goodness. They would introduce the opposing team. The students would pull out newspapers and hold up. We even, you know, there were times where they snuck toilet paper in and after the first basket, it was a whiteout. It was a lot of fun. But I can remember those games that were tight, and all of a sudden the student section and the cheerleaders are cheering, and they start going, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, that's our Cherokee battle cry. Woo! He has me fired up even now. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Christ is our battle cry. That's the point of Zephaniah 3. To get excited and to shout for glory. And the thing is, we are told why we are to shout, why we are to sing. Look at verse 15. The reason we sing and exult and shout and rejoice. Why verse 15? God has done two things. First, he's taken away the judgments against you. Keep that in mind. The judgment that we deserve has been taken away. This begs the question, who's judging us? This is the mystery. It is God who's judging us. He is the rightful judge. He is the holy, true, righteous judge who has the authority and the right to judge sin in this world. That's why we are found guilty. All of us have sinned against God. But notice what it says there. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. So how has the righteous judge who must judge sin... How's, how's he taken away those judgments? Who has taken them away? God has. You see the beauty of the gospel? God the righteous judge has judged rightly, but he is also the one who has prov provided salvation for us. He is the one who bore his own wrath on the cross. And I cannot unravel the mystery of that other than to say that is clearly what the Bible teaches, that when Jesus died, he bore the judgment you and I deserve from God. In 2016, there were four buildings that collapsed in China. They were residential buildings. They collapsed due to shoddy workmanship and torrential rains that undermined the foundation. When rescue workers got on the scene and began sifting through the rubble, they only found one survivor. It was a little girl, a three-year-old girl. And she was found underneath her father's body. You see, her dad, Wu Ningji, had wrapped himself around her to make a safe space when the building started to fall. One rescue worker said the child survived because her own father used his own flesh and blood to make a life-saving space for his daughter. He died so she would live. Our God came in the flesh, walked this earth sinlessly, took 
the Father's judgment on the cross so you and I could have a safe space in His presence. That's why He says He has taken away the judgments against you. And notice that He has cleared away your enemies. The Scripture says we have three enemies. The devil, the world, and the flesh. Christ has overcome all of them. He has conquered the devil. He has overcome the world. And he has taken away the judgment of our sin, giving us the spirit that we might walk a living according to his will. God did this in Jesus. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Look at verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. That phrase, don't let your hands grow weak, is a way of saying, don't drop your hands in discouragement. It was a Hebrew phrase that like, you ever got to that point, it's like, we would say, don't throw up your hands. It's like, I've had it. I'm done. I'm out of here. He is saying, you don't do that. Why? Because God has taken away your judgments. The words of the old hymn came to my mind as I was thinking of that fact that God is in our midst. Therefore, we do not have to give up. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know, oh, I know, he watches me. It is that image of watching that's found in verse 17. Notice how it begins. Again, the Lord your God is in your midst. Now, judgment is gone. This is rejoicing. This is celebration. God is in your midst. And notice how he's described a mighty one who will save. That phrase mighty one could be literally translated hero. He is the hero who will save. He is the, the superman who will come and redeem us. And indeed, who has? And notice what he does. The latter part of verse 17 really has two main ideas, but these two main ideas are repeated. One of them is repeated twice. What will our God do in our midst? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now, the middle phrase, he will rejoice over you, or the first of the phrases, is repeated in the last one. He will exult over you with loud singing. That phrase is emphasized. He will rejoice over us with gladness. You know what, child of God? He delights over you. I want you to think about that for a moment. According to this, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exult over you. He delights in us. Think about that for a moment. Our God delights in us. Not because we have done anything to merit that, but because he is love and we are made in his image. Max Lucado put it like this, child of God, if the Lord had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. What do you delight in? Now think about that for a moment. What do you delight in? What gives you a smile to your face, a grin, that just makes you want to go, yes. For some of us, it was watching Tennessee last night. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> well, grandchildren. Your grandchildren make you delight? Amen. <laughs> Think about that feeling you have 
of sheer delight. And know that when God looks at you, He feels that way about you. I can't fathom that. And the tragic thing is, is that there are many who do not hear God's song of delight being sung over them. Now, I know that in many ways we won't experience that song fully now because we're not home yet. In many ways, what Zephaniah preached here is just a little foretaste of what will happen on the day Christ returns. So I realize that through the Holy Spirit, we experience a bit of this now because we're not home yet. But I fear that there are other reasons that clog our ears to the song of God's delight. Could it be that if you're not hearing God's delight, it could be because of sin that you simply don't want to give up? Are we holding on to things that are keeping us from experiencing God's delight? See, that's the dilemma. It's kind of like wanting to lose weight. I want to lose weight as long as I can still eat everything I want to eat. That's what I want. I want to know the delight of God, but I still want to do whatever I want to do. Jesus put it like this. He was talking about money. He said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll love one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and money. That principle expands to the things we do we know displease God. We won't experience God's delight when we are holding on to things we know are displeasing to Him. Another reason we may not hear and experience God's delight is because we simply don't take time to hear it. We're on the go. We're busy. Finding time to pray? Oh, I want to, but I've got too much to do. Finding time to read the Scripture and meditate? Oh, maybe one day a week uh, it's possible to really take time to worship. I mean, think about just the, almost the hour we've been in here now. Think about the battle you've had just to focus your mind on this moment and to know the Lord. Part of the challenge is that for us to learn to really experience that, to put into practice Psalm 4610, to be still and know that He is God. In many ways, it's like the holidays that are coming up. Is it possible that we may get so busy for whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas, getting our family in and getting everybody to be there, that we work so hard to get everything perfect that we don't enjoy the people when they're there? Jesus had an experience like that with two sisters, Mary and Martha, according to Luke 10. He showed up at their house, and Martha was that type A personality, doing things, being sure the casseroles were baked right. They had casseroles because deep down I know they were Baptist. She's being sure the food's ready, the tables are set, everything's perfect. And as she is just running around like a, a whirlwind, her sister Mary is there at the feet of Jesus, not doing a dadgum thing. This irritates Martha. So she gets Jesus. I can almost see in my mind, Jesus, could you come here for just a moment? I've been here working since 6 o'clock this morning. I'm working my fingers to the bone. Would you tell Martha to get up and to do something to help me? Please. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're doing a lot of good things. 
But right now, Mary has chosen the one thing that would not be taken away from her. In essence, Martha, that's what you need to be doing right now. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus did not say what Martha was doing was wrong. Casseroles have to be baked. Houses have to be cleaned. Tables have to be set. It was an issue of timing and priority. The preparations were to be done, but when Jesus was there, he was to be the focus. Timing and priority. Do you make time to slow down? If you wait for it to happen, it never will. But you've got to make it. To say for 15 minutes, I'm unplugged. No phone, no TV, no children, no grandchildren. 15 minutes, I'm unplugged. Because I want to hear the Lord's song of delight. I think there's a third reason many people do not hear the voice of the Lord's delight. And it's because the voices of condemnation are drowning out the Lord's song. See, for many, there's an audio loop that is continually playing in your mind. And that loop, you hear these words. You aren't good enough. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do anything right. And that's all you hear. And it's not that you don't know the promises of Jesus. It's not that you do not remember what he said to the woman and called in adultery when Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. You know that story of how the men, Jesus said, those of you without sin, drop, cast the first stone, and they began dropping the stones one by one. You know that, but the problem is this. You feel like the weight of those stones they drop are landing on your shoulders. I want you to remember that stones cannot stop Jesus. I encourage you, work to stop that audio loop telling you how bad you are. Because Jesus is that good doctor. If he points out it's sin, it's so that you'll know the healing. He wants you to dwell on that healing. Speak his grace to yourself. Get in the word. Read Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in my midst. He is that mighty one who will save me. God is rejoicing over me with gladness and claiming the grace of Jesus Christ that has been given in the cross. See, look at that middle phrase. He will quiet you by his love. Oh, my goodness. If your heart is unsteady, he will quiet your heart by his love. If your heart is like the sea churning up memories, he will quiet you by his love. The love of Jesus. You'll be like that mother holding a hurt and crying child to console and quiet your heart. The good news of the gospel is that he is here in our midst to do that. In 2017, me and my family lived for 10 months at the hospice house in Bristol from February to the end of December. You may not be aware there is a hospice house outside of Wellmont Regional Hospital. It's got eight rooms. We lived in room number eight. During that period, there was a lot of going back and forth. I mean, the kids, Samuel, our our youngest, was on the road. He was driving. Ellen was in college. So Jody had downloaded this app and gave them the choice to download this 360 app. I say choice because it was no choice. They downloaded it. And this app, you can follow wherever they are. 
Well, after they had downloaded it and Jody could track them, she looked at me and she said, do you want to download the app too? I said, Jody, if you want to know where I am, look to your left. That's where I am. I'm here with you. And if I'm not in this room, I'm in the kitchen. And you don't need an app to find me there. If you're wondering where God is, you don't need an app. He's here. He's with you. And He is rejoicing over you as a warrior poet singing His love for you. Know that love today. Know it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, this morning we are thankful for your presence. We are thankful for your presence because we know that Jesus has endured your judgments upon the cross. Thank you, Lord. We know you are here with us and that, Lord, you rejoice. And this morning, if our hearts are not experiencing that, I ask you to do a work within us that we will truly hear you delighting and that we will experience your love quiet, working to quiet our agitated souls. Father, by your grace, drown out the voices of the world, the voices of worry, the voices of chaos. And let us hear your song of delight. In the name of Jesus, I pray.